You know, we're in James again, and uh, this is a tough one this morning, I got to admit. And so fasten your seatbelt, folks, because every one of us are going to have to do some soul searching here this morning, including myself. The title of the message is called Sticks and Stones. You remember that when you were a kid? Sticks and stones to break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That is so untrue, as you really know. I, I remember growing up, I was kind of a fat little kid. I got a let you know. And um, we lived in a town called Arlington Heights, which is northwest suburb of Chicago. Anybody know where Arlington Heights is? Uh, there's a few people. Well, by, by our home, there was the racetrack, Arlington Park racetrack. And it was a big time racetrack. And every summer we would have a trainer come and stay in our home for the summer. He would rent a room from us. And he started calling me because I was fat. He'd call me stuffy all the time. And that really stuck with me for a long time. And, uh, and I, it, it made me feel guilty. It made me feel foolish at times. And, and so uh, I went on this journey to obviously slim down eventually. But it always had created this, this block for me when I see somebody who is heavy. And uh, it kind of brings back some of those memories. And that kind of made a, a long impression on me. And then, uh, you know, so that was kind of a negative thing. But I remember in college when I was uh, playing, some, playing basketball, and uh, I had a pretty decent three-point shot. And so because my last name was Garishay, they called me Garishat. So uh, if, he, if you call me Garishat today, I will feel very honored. I would really appreciate that. But names can make a difference. What comes out of our mouth can really create either life or death, as Scripture says in Proverbs. So this morning, last week, we did a little hearing test. This week, we're going to do a little speech therapy, Okay. So let's jump in with James chapter 3, one of the most convicting chapters, I think, in the entire Bible. So let's walk through it, and let's, let's see what God has to say to us this morning. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Gosh, I hate that verse. Here's two. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Somebody might call it a weapon of mass destruction. Verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this shouldn't be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, I'm going to these next few verses because I've never seen the connection between these before, but I think this is the real punchline in how we deal with our tongue. And he goes on to say, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. 
But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Well, where do we go from here? Let me give you the first principle, and that is this. Those who teach will be held to a higher standard. I confess that for many years, I didn't ever feel qualified or able or spiritual enough to be a teacher of the word. And in many ways, it kept me from pursuing any kind of pastoral ministry for a long period of time because I just felt like, who's worthy to be able to stand up and give the word of God because I don't want stricter judgment. That's not where I want to go. So it's critical then that if we are under greater scrutiny as a teacher... And as I speak to you this morning, there's got to be, I think, four characteristics of every teacher, whether you're teaching a Bible study, whether you're leading a small group, whether you're standing in front of your children as a disciple maker of your family, or whether you're standing up in front of an entire congregation and sharing the word. These are four principles that to me are non-negotiable for every teacher. And the first one is there's got to be integrity. What you see should be what you get. There should be the same kind of person that is not only standing up here on Sunday morning should be the same person you're going to run into on the street during the week. There needs to be a consistency in the lifestyle so that when a person stands up and teaches, he's teaching from a place of integrity. I remember a pastor that I helped uh, leave the ministry because his entire staff no longer believed that he had integrity. And they wouldn't even come to hear him preach on Sunday morning because he lost his level of integrity. So integrity is a key component. There must also be authenticity. You know, a lot of times we say that the millennials, those younger generation, are not looking for a lot of pizzazz and a lot of show and a lot of attraction. They're looking for authenticity. And I think it's critical that anybody who teaches needs to be totally authentic, transparent, if you will, to a point. And that's my third point. There needs to be some kind of transparency. When uh, I stand up here as your teacher on a Sunday morning, I call it incarnational preaching. You need to know the messenger as much as you know the message. Amen? That's what Jesus did. He came down here not to just preach. He came down here to model, to, to put himself in the flesh so that we could actually see the word. The word became flesh. And anybody who preaches or teaches where they're not becoming at least transparent enough so people know the messenger, we're missing what I would think godly teaching is all about. And then fourthly, obviously, accuracy is a critical component. Scripture says in 2 Timothy 2.15 that we are to rightly divide the word of truth. That's very, very critical that we do our homework and that we express the word of God very accurately. So those are the four things that as I look in my own life that I have to fall under as I teach you. And so I just want to encourage you as you think about your relationships and where you're teaching that those four components are there. These are non-negotiables in my opinion. However, it says in verse 2 that nobody is perfect when it comes to controlling the tongue. It says we all stumble in many ways. And if, if any is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. So I'm here to tell you, I stumble with my tongue just like you do. I have issues with my tongue. And that's what I said. This is oftentimes what kept me from wanting to be a pastor at some point. Here's principle number two. The tongue is the most powerful tool we have in our bodies. 
In Proverbs 18, 21, it says the tongue has the power of life and death. You know, I go back to my childhood and remember that stuffy word that kind of had an impact on me. That was a negative impact. You probably heard some things in your life that brought you life and brought you death. Maybe somebody said you were stupid or you were a failure or you're dumb or you'll never make anything out of your life. Those kinds of things that have been said to you have brought a lot of death oftentimes in your life where it's been really hard to overcome. And then there's been times where people have breathed life into you like I believe in you and by God's grace, you can do anything you want to do because I believe you're a gifted person and you have great characteristics. You have a great quality about you and all those things. So your tongue can bring life or it can bring death. It seems like there's either one or the other. Seems to have very little neutrality. But it is the most powerful tool we have in our bodies. Here's principle number three. The tongue can be used for great blessing or great cursing. It's interesting to me how James uses the example here in, in, in this of, of nature. He says, can an olive tree or can a fruit tree produce olives? No, it's got to produce fruit. In other words, in nature, God has designed nature to be consistent. But what's interesting about the tongue is it's one of those things that God has created that because of our free will has become inconsistent. In verse 11, it says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. So he's saying there's got to be some consistency in our tongue because it's the one thing that God has created that has been inconsistent all along the journey. It's not what he naturally wanted to do. So I thought about all this and I, I thought, how do we work on our tongue. And so I was thinking about Proverbs. And so this past week, I went through the whole book of Proverbs. And it says so much about our tongue that I thought it would be interesting to do a little speech therapy game with you this morning. Okay. So I have 12 Proverbs that I pulled out. There are probably more, but I'm going to give you 12 ways that your tongue can either bless or curse. And here's what I'd like for you to do. As I read these, um, this is better than preaching because you're going to get it straight from the word of God this morning, okay? So we're going to take one of these at a time, and I want you to do an assessment on your tongue this morning, okay? And then if you see a place where that particular scripture applies to you, I want to challenge you to think about something. I want you to take that scripture home with you, and I want you to memorize it. Because that's going to help you be more accountable in that area of your life, okay? So this will be kind of a speech therapy moment for all of us. So we're going to walk through 12 different Proverbs, all right? Are you ready? You ready to fasten your seatbelts? I want you to be as open, as honest to yourself. And by the way, if your wife or somebody that knows you really well, you're not marking it down, make sure you give them the elbow so that they know that they need to work on this, okay? So I want you to be fellow conviction people. I want you to play the role of the Holy Spirit if you have to, but make sure you're examining your own life, okay? You ready? Here we go. Number one, I call this a discretionary tongue. It's found in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. You see how I connected that with those last few verses? This is kind of interesting. Pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. The point is this. Are you the person that taps into the wisdom of God? 
Are you a person who taps into the wisdom of God? Because the more we tap into the wisdom of God, the more discretion there is on our lips. That's why we need to learn. That's why we need to grow. That's why we need to uh, be in the scriptures. That's why we need to be uh, listening to what God is saying to us on a Sunday morning. These are all ways that we can tap into that wisdom so that what comes out of our mouth is much more discretionary. How well do you do that? That's number one. You can mark it down. Here's number two. I call this one a verbose tongue, okay? This is Proverbs chapter 10, verses 19 and 21. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for the lack of judgment. This is a hard one. I call this the motor mouth principle. Okay, anybody got a motor mouth in the room where you find yourself talking a lot and because you talk a lot, sometimes you insert foot or you are controlling conversations because it's a control mechanism in your life. This is a verbose tongue and he says, when words are many, sin is not absent. Have you ever noticed that people who are quieter, you often think they're wiser Have you noticed that? You know, sometimes we just need to keep our mouths shut and people think we're wiser even though we're not, but at least we're smart enough to keep our mouths shut, okay? All right, that's the verbose tongue. Anybody got a problem with that? Here's the third one, a perverse tongue. This is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be cut out. Well, that's pretty tough. So what is he talking about, this perverted tongue? It's the foul, perhaps, uh, filthy language, swearing, maybe slander, perhaps backbiting, being critical and sarcastic, those kinds of things, what I would consider a perverse tongue. It, It cuts deep. It's not righteous. It can be perverse. And what God says that you need to really cut that out. So... That would be a perverse tongue. Here's number four. This one is obvious. It's a gossipy tongue. Proverbs 11, 13 says this. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. You see, what gossip does is is that you know something about somebody that maybe nobody else does. And that perhaps might violate that person's privacy, and yet you continue to talk about that person to somebody else behind their back. That can be a very dangerous place to be. I know I've done that in my own life because being a pastor over many, many years, you hear things from people that are oftentimes very private, and sometimes it can be dangerous because you know something about somebody that nobody else does, and you have a slip of the tongue, and pretty soon you've betrayed a confidence, and you've gossiped. So a gossipy tongue is a critical, critical one to take a look at. Uh, Let's all raise our hands for those who are gossiping. No, we won't go there. Okay, here's number five. All right, a lying tongue. Proverbs 12, 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. Let me just share. Sometimes we make excuses for our little white lies, perhaps. 
or there are times in our life where we just don't want to say the whole truth, and so we withhold it. I think that's being deceptive. That's a form of lying, and lying is something that God obviously detests. And it's interesting because in our culture today where we have no longer any moral absolutes, lying becomes a part of our daily routine. You know, when we call in sick when we're not or when we say things that are really untrue about our, uh, when we're in sales, there's can be all different ways that we can use a lying tongue. So a lying tongue, it says the Lord detests lying lips. That's a hard one. Number six, this is what I call impulsive tongue. Proverbs 13.3, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Do you ever speak before you think? Anybody got that problem? Where it's just, you know, your emotions get out of control and you just say something long before you really think it through. And before you know it, you wish you could take it back, but you can't. It's already come out of your mouth. That's what I would call an impulsive tongue. It's usually controlled more by our emotions than, again, by godly wisdom. We say things. We say things impulsively. You can't take it back, and it's hurtful. Here's number seven. This is a neat one. This is called a gentle tongue. This is a, a blessing side. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know, I've run into some people that just have a way, a a quiet, gentle way about them that they can kind of disarm. Uh, There's a deputy that I hang out with once in a while with YCSO, and uh, he has a reputation that's just amazing. He can go out into a very, very, uh, you know, difficult situation where where there's a lot of emotion, where there's a lot of, of hype. And he just has a way of walking into that mess, especially in domestic violence. And he can kind of talk people down because he has this gentle tongue and he's able to disarm all of that stuff. It's just amazing to watch him work. Do you have that kind of ability in your own life, that that gentleness, that ability to sort of disarm things that are escalating, things that are out of control, that you can come alongside somebody with just a, a kind, gentle word, just to kind of settle everything down. Boy, I'd sure like to have that in my own life. Here's another one that's really a, a blessing side of the tongue. This is what I'd call a healing tongue. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer, excuse me, uh, 15.4, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. That healing tongue is, is what I would call the encourager type tongue. That, that person that just knows what to say at the right time in the right place to just make you feel better. They just have this ability to come alongside somebody and say, you know, I know you're struggling, and, and, and they just have a way of saying the right thing at the right time to just encourage you and lift you up and give you the right answer at the right time. Wouldn't you love to have that in your own life where you just knew? I know there's been many times, especially as a chaplain, as a pastor over many years, when I get into really tragic situations where people have lost a loved one or somebody was shot to death or whatever, and I come to a family, and, and it's just my greatest desire to say, oh, Lord, if I could just say the right thing, if I could just bring healing and encouragement to this family, what do I say? And sometimes you don't hardly have to say anything at all, but there's this ability to have this healing touch in the words that you say. Here's another one that I think is really cool, and that's called what I would call a timely tongue. Proverbs 15, 23. 
A man finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word. It kind of goes along with this idea of the healing tongue. Uh, You know, people just have a knack of saying the right thing at the right time. That's what I'm talking about. Saying the right thing at the right time. Being able to, to, to understand the, the situation of the moment and to be able to say, you know, this is a timely thing. Or you're in a meeting, for instance, and you have a group of people that are all together. And I remember one time when, when there was a, a church that was escalating really badly with some conflict. And I remember uh, a gal standing up and she said, you know what? It's time to pray. And it's just like, wow, was that timely? Did we need that? I mean, somebody who had that discernment to be able to say, you know what, it's, it's really, I, we need to just say this right now and get the elephant out of the room. So a timely tongue. Now we go back to what I would call some of the death word things. This is called the arrogant tongue, the arrogant tongue. Uh, Proverbs 17, 7, arrogant lips are unsuited to a fool. How much worse lying lips to a ruler. So I see this person as somebody who knows how to exaggerate, knows how to brag. We were just back in Iowa a a few months or a few weeks ago where I messed my ribs up. And uh, there's a guy that lives in that town that everybody knows. And he consistently brags about everything that he has or everything he does. And he exaggerates all the time. And after a while, everybody just kind of blows him off because he's just, that's the way he is. And so nobody believes really anything that he says anymore. And maybe you know people like that, or maybe you found yourself doing that. A lot of that comes out of an insecure heart because we just want to make ourselves feel better. And so we, we exaggerate or we blow things out of proportion. And so that's really a problem with some people. And maybe you have that, but it can kind of come from a prideful place or it can be coming from a very insecure place. Maybe you know people like that. Here's number 11, a flattering tongue. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those it hurts and a flattering mouth works ruin. What I mean by a flattering tongue here this morning is that we oftentimes say things to get our own way. We, we patronize people to get what we want. I don't know if you're that way. Sometimes your kids will do that once in a while and say, oh, mom, I love you so much. Can I have more money to go shopping? You know what I mean? One of those deals. That's what we call a flattering tongue. It's kind of, you know, using these compliments and, and, you know, and kind of kissing up to get what you want. And I don't know if anybody has done that, but perhaps that's maybe one of your issues because you know how to get your own way. Maybe that's been an issue. You were an only child and you were spoiled. And so now you've, you've, well, anyways, we won't go there. All right. Here's the last one. An angry tongue. This one's probably the most hurtful. Proverbs 29, 11, A fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. I think about rage. I think about sarcasm. A lot of times sarcasm is just simply coming from an angry heart. Criticism. I know for my own life, cynicism is a big deal. And I know that when I get cynical about something, I've usually probably either been hurt or I'm angry about something. And so I use cynicism to cover up my anger rather than to just blow. I don't know if you have a problem with that, but that's an area of weakness in my own life. Angry tongue. How many times have you said stuff in anger that you wished you could take back? How many times? 
And how many times have you been wounded by people who have gotten angry and said things that you know they didn't really mean at the time, but out of their anger, out of their heart, came this incredible wrath, and you were the victim of that wrath, and how it hurt you so deeply. An angry tongue is probably one of the most difficult ones to overcome because, again, it comes out of the emotion and not out of wisdom. So those are 12. There's probably some more you can find in Proverbs, but I thought those were a pretty good list. And as you look at those this morning, I want to encourage you to take that particular verse and maybe bring it to memory because it's going to help you overcome perhaps some of those issues that you're having and, and God will use the scriptures to remind you to put that piece under control. So that's like your bridle. That's like your bit. That's like your rudder, okay? So that's why we, we go to scripture. So the question then is, how then do I do a better job of keeping my tongue under control? Well, if you remember my, the first proverb, it says, my first, it said that a discretionary tongue comes from paying attention to godly wisdom, okay? From paying attention to godly wisdom. So how do we do that? Well, James deals with it by first of all saying, let's understand what earthly wisdom looks like. And so principle number four is that earthly wisdom, he says, it is unspiritual, it's earthly, and it's of the devil. So how does he say in his verses here that how that's manifested? And he said it's manifested in five different ways. Number one, if we're tapping into earthly wisdom, it's going to be about pride. It's going to be about selfishness. It's going to be about boastfulness. It's going to be about being envious and disorder. It's going to have all of those elements in it if we're tapping into earthly wisdom. If you look at a marriage that's falling apart, you can probably find all of those elements in there because why? The married couple is not tapping into godly wisdom. They're tapping into earthly wisdom. Or a church that's falling apart, that's in conflict. It's because there's something prideful and selfish and boastful and envious. And there's disorder within the framework of the church. And that can happen in the family as well. When we tap into earthly wisdom, that's the result. Now, what's interesting, if you look at all the bottom lines of all of those things that we just talked about, those 12 different Proverbs... The bottom line in all of them, what is the motivation? What is the reason why I have this problem? Why do I do this? Why do I say things like that? What's going on? And it's usually it's a character issue. It's, a, it's a, something that's a heart problem. Why we say that? Because in Matthew 12, verse 34, uh, first of all, I'll give you principle number five. Seeking godly wisdom reveals the motive of our heart. Seeking godly wisdom reveals the motive of our heart. See, if we just concentrate on what we say, we're going to waste our time. If that's all we're going to do is try to control our tongue by what we say, no, the tongue is a heart issue. It's a problem with your heart. It's not a problem with your tongue. The tongue just responds to whatever the heart's saying because in Matthew 12, 34, when Jesus was confronting the Pharisees, he said, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever comes out of our mouth is a revelation of our heart. We got to remember that. It comes out of who we are on the inside. It says something about where we're motivated. So what do we need to do? We need to concentrate on our character, not on our words. Does that make sense? 
We got to work on those character issues in our lives that are causing that the root of what's coming out of our mouth is causing. Okay. And so these are character issues that when we are tapping into godly wisdom, when we know we're tapping into godly wisdom, it's going to produce this kind of fruit. And so James goes on and he talks about it. He says, number one, it's going to start with understanding. If we're tapping into godly wisdom, it starts with understanding. Remember what we said last week, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why do we say it's so important to quick to hear? Because what quick to hear does, it gives you what? Understanding. So for some of us, we need to have a heart of understanding. And if we don't want to understand what somebody else is doing, we're going to say things that are the wrong way. We're going to misjudge. And so we're talking about having a heart of understanding. Secondly, he talks about humility. It's just the opposite of, of, of godly wisdom or earthly wisdom that it's prideful. Well, he's saying if you're really exercising godly wisdom, you're going to have a heart of humility. Number three, he said there's going to be a purity about your heart. There's going to be a peace loving about your heart. He said there's going to be more considerate. You're going to be more submissive. You're going to be full of mercy. You're going to be impartial. You're going to be sincere. And finally, he says, you're going to be peaceful. These are elements of tapping into godly wisdom. And it might be interesting for you to kind of go through that list in your own mind and saying, where am I lacking godly wisdom? Is it the area of peace loving? Is it the air being more considerate of the people who are around me? Is it being more submissive? Is it finding greater humility? I need to cap, tap into that because if I can go there, what I say will be more under control. What I say then becomes more under control. So that's what James, I think, is trying to say because I never was able before to connect this whole wisdom piece with where he was going with the tongue, but now I see it. I think that's what James is really trying to say. None of us are ever going to control our tongues completely, Amen. But if we tap into godly wisdom, we're going to see improvement. You see, what this whole series has been all about, a faith that works is legitimized by our works. Our faith is legitimized by our works. So what legitimizes our faith? That we get our tongue more under control today than it was yesterday. That's what legitimizes our faith. So what comes out of our mouth has an incredible indication of how we're journeying in that work of faith. And it's going to legitimize our faith. And so many of you have been burned by people because of what's come out of their mouth. And you thought, that's a Christian? That's a person that I've been role modeling? No way. They're hypocritical. Why? Because it's what they said. And it didn't match up with who they were. And so it's critical. I think what James is trying to tell us all this morning is saying, look, your mouth, it can be a tool of life or it can be a tool of death. But it's not necessarily about your tongue, it's about your heart. So where is your heart this morning? Is your heart wanting to be a heart of understanding this morning? A heart of humility as you look at these particular verses and Proverbs? And are you willing to really allow God to speak to you and saying, yeah, this is an area that I have a problem with my tongue. What are the heart issues? And how do I begin to tap into godly wisdom? You got it? I thought I'd get an amen, but that's okay. That's all right. I know you're under such conviction. You can't, you can't say. So here, let me close with some questions. Number one is this. Which of the Proverbs do you identify with that, you just, that I just read? And will you be willing to memorize that particular verse? Here's the second thing. What heart issues do you think they reveal in your life? 
Now, this is great questions for your small group where you can be maybe more vulnerable. What heart issues do you think that are being revealed in your life based upon this conviction of these issues in your life? And then what steps will you take to deal with those heart issues? Um, I just want to tell you that in my own life, because I know I'm under stricter judgment, that there's been a couple of things with my tongue that I get compulsive about, impulsive about, and I say things and... um, and they're really not at the right time at the right place. They're not done to damage anybody, but my transparency kind of gets away from me. And, and so that's what happens to me. And so what I've tried to do in my own life, and I want to encourage you to do the same thing, is that if you're going to take this stuff seriously and you really do want to work on these issues, what I've done with my life is I'm saying, God, listen, God, if I do this again, I not only want you to remind me and hold me accountable, if you have to discipline me, discipline me. I mean, I'm that serious. This is an area of my life that's been a struggle for me for a lot of years. And Lord, if you would just discipline me and and really go after me and hold me accountable here, and I'll trust you. He has done that in my life uh, several times, and it's very humiliating, and I really have to be broken over it because... If I say something that's out of line and I have that sincerity in my commitment to God about that issue in my life, he will be faithful to deal with that. Aren't you glad? Because he loves me that much that he's saying, look, if you're serious about this, I'm going to help you start to deal with it and get a bridle on your tongue. So I, I encourage you to maybe even approach it that way. If it's something you're really struggling with, go for it. Just sit down with the Lord and say, God, if I get angry and I blow this again, God, would you discipline me? Whatever it takes, I want to be accountable here. I want to whip this thing. So I encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for these very direct words from you. These are not my words. These are your words. We, uh, Lord, you know, I always pray before I speak that it wouldn't be me talking. It would be you. And Lord, um, not any of us can escape this morning without applying something in the area of their tongue. And so, God, I pray that we would work on those heart issues, that we would tap into your wisdom And a part of that is knowing those scriptures that really speak to that issue. And so, Lord, convict us, move us, and motivate us, and make us godly people who that at least what comes out of our mouth is a better improvement than it was yesterday because we know that none of us can really tame our tongues. But, God, by your help, we can sure get get a handle on it. So we commit that to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.